If you're visiting with us, we're in a, a teaching series called uh, What About Me? And basically, every week we're asking the question, uh, what is my response to the gospel? What is my response to the good news that Jesus Christ has come and he has provided redemption? He has redeemed me from the power of sin and death. What is my response? What about me? And then we're not saying that in an egotistical, narcissistic kind of a way, like, what about me? You know, but we're just truly wanting to know where where do we go? How do we go further? Because that really is the question, isn't it? It's kind of like Nick was saying uh, about the the trail that that dude's walking on. It's this this kind of like what we're on right now. We're on a we're on a, a journey, um, a journey towards Christ likeness, a journey towards holiness, and uh, um, and just the the spirit filled life, a life content, a life to the full that He has us on a journey. And, um, and so we're just asking the question, what about me? And, and, you know, around here, we actually cover a lot of the foundational basics quite often. In fact, back in the first of the year, we went through a, a teaching series called The Gospel and moved right out of that into another um, emphasis called The Redeemer, kind of through the Passover season. And we've just been focusing just on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And uh, so we're always talking about those foundational things, even who we are in Christ, um, that we are a new creation, that we are a kingdom and a priest. We are, uh, we are saints, not sinners, um, thanks to the blood of Jesus Christ. We cover those things. All the, we are the workmanship of God. All of those things, that the song we sang this morning, that, that um, we are complete in Jesus Christ. He has made us whole. We talk about those things all the time. And so some of the things that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks aren't necessarily new, but one of the things that we're wanting to do for our church family here at SOMA, and uh, we do consider you family, but what we're hoping to do during this teaching series is to challenge all of us, not, not just me to you, you be challenged, you, but all of us to be challenged and to be encouraged to add to our intellectual understanding of who God is and what he has done, to add to that a life of passionate responses, responding passionately to who he is, to his greatness, to what he has done, his marvelous, his marvelous deeds. And the Bible is, is stacked full of uh, testimonies of his greatness and who he is, right? You guys read this thing, right? That's why we lift it up. That's why we want to look to it. Because the more we know this, the more we know God. The more we know God, the more we will love Him. The more we love Him, the more we will obey Him. And walking in obedience to the Lord sends us down that Appalachian trail of, of Christ-likeness, of godliness, of righteousness, all those things that He's calling us to. So this morning, what I want to do um, is to... Uh, is to say to all of, all of those, and hopefully it's everybody, that's asking that question, what about me, as a response to the gospel, I want to say this very simply. Sing. What about me? What's, what's my response? One of your responses to the Lord is to sing. Now you may be thinking, dude, you, you're crazy. We do sing. We, we just got through singing. We sing every morning, and I know that we sing every Sunday morning. Uh, we gather, and that's one of the things, actually, that I love about this body of believers is that it's such an authentic 
community of worshipers. In other words, we're not manipulating people to do things that they don't want to do, and, and it's not all about hype. And you guys have probably all seen certain atmospheres that are all about everything but authentic worship, pure spirit and truth worship. And we're not about those things around here. But I will say this. And if you're writing things down, I want you to start writing some things down this morning because I do want us to be challenged and encouraged. Even as we were sitting here this morning, we're, we're singing and worshiping. I'm like, man, I'm going to be talking about singing today. These people are hitting it. You guys are singing your brains out. How many of you had to pick your brains up off the floor after worship? So even as I say this this morning, it's not so much that I'm, that I'm saying this isn't something that you do or that we do or that we don't do well. It's just a reminder. Um, some of you may be visiting. Some of you may be visiting from out of town. And you may not be a, a part of a church that has ever heard or said or, or had this kind of a focus before. Let me say, what about you? What is one of your responses as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Sing. Sing. Every believer has got to get a greater understanding and practice of the power and the purpose of singing. And if you're writing things down, I want you to write that down. Every believer, wherever you come from, wherever you live, every believer needs to have a greater understanding, and not just understanding, but a practice of the power and the purpose behind that power of singing. I was thinking about when I was in Bible school, um, it was, a, it was a small class the year that I was in. There's maybe 50 people in the class. And, and I actually sent the table that I sat in was right kind of in the center. And I don't know what it was about where I was sitting, but it seemed like everybody in the room that could not sing sat right next to me, like right around me. And we would have a worship time, um, you know, every, every morning for probably 30, 45 minutes. And sometimes I would even lead that, which was awesome because I was away from the people that couldn't sing. But anyway. But we're singing, and we're singing at the first. You know, I, I got saved when I was 19. I have no church background. Um, basically, 20, 20, so I was about 21 or 22, uh, just a few years removed from the world. So you can imagine how rough I still was and just like, oh. So here I am at this, at this table f- surrounded by people that just couldn't sing. It's like all the good singers were at, on the other side of the room or something. And I can remember during worship just being so annoyed. It's like, gee whiz find a key, you know? But then as the year went on, I get to know these people because we're sitting in close proximity and the school's, it was, school was pretty small anyway. I'm getting to know these people and I find out what God's brought them through, the redemption that they've seen in their lives. They were just like me, saved from just junk. And you know, when you know that about people and you hear their heart and where they're coming from, all of a sudden, what key they pick to sing the songs that the worship leaders pick? They're not quite as important. And I say that. Some of you may be like, I'm the La La Land singer. <laughs> it's okay. Because my point is, is that what, by the end of the year, really even more towards the middle of the year and the rest of the year, I was so grateful to be surrounded by people that they loved God and they were worshiping Him. And the song that they were singing and the volume and the way that they expressed their heart and the redemption that God has, in, has, has performed in their life, um, it just really kind of started transforming my heart. It was powerful. You know, a lot of Christians across this town, across this nation, they will go into a building. They will come in. They will stand. 
They will sing the, the songs that the worship leader puts before them to sing. They will sit down. And there may or may not be a breakthrough in their life and in their hearts concerning who God is up against whatever difficulty they may be facing in life, whatever the challenges are in life, whatever they're facing. And that's a sad thing. To be in the presence of, of so many saints and so many witnesses singing the praises of God and leaving a place with no more or less breakthrough in your life, no more or less perspective of the greatness of God and His ability to triumph over our small, comparatively, situations. Amen? But that's what happens. I mean, how many times do we leave a worship service unchanged because we're not responding to the greatness of God in the, in the variety of different ways that we can respond and express? Singing being one of them. Our church is fairly unique, not completely unique, but it's unique in the fact that, uh, that, s- that some of us come from traditional church backgrounds where um, it's more of a conservative expression when it comes to worship. There's others of us uh, as part of Soma that come from more of a, a demonstrative background as it relates to worship. And um, I think it'd be good for you guys to know, in case you were wondering, Soma Church is, is what you might call a, a non-denominational church. Um, basically just meaning that as, at this time, our leadership has decided not to necessarily officially link arms with any particular denomination, not because we despise or reject any of those. We just feel like at this time um, that we're, we're going to be non-denominational. We're not going to uh, link our, our arms with a particular denomination. Now, I will say this. If there was a label, you guys are about to get freaked out, by the way. If there was a label that I would put upon Soma Church, that I would hope and pray that our church would always be, that it would become and always be. Are you ready to be freaked out? It would be charismatic. Charismatic. Not in the sense of, let's get crazy. Where are the snakes? Somebody speaking tongues before I have a fit. That's not, that's not per se what I'm talking about. Not that we're opposed to snakes. I mean, uh, tongues. <laughs> you bring a snake in here and it will get cut in half. I promise you. <laughs> By my wife. She'll be the first one. <laughs> She's cut many snakes in half. When I say charismatic, and I, I, honestly, I truly mean that, not from the sake of our backgrounds and understanding what charismaticism is, but from the true definition of the word, okay? It's unfortunate that that, that word has been turned into something else. But listen, I've, I've thought about this all week, and I feel like uh, that I, where I'm supposed to share this. Listen to what charismatic means, the word. It means possessing the extraordinary ability to attract, and inspire great enthusiasm and devotion. Absolutely. That was the label that I would like on this church. More than anything else, please, let's be charismatic. I want us to possess the extraordinary ability to attract and inspire great enthusiasm and devotion. Are not the gatherings 
of the saints supposed to be about two things? Equipping the saints, equipping the believer, and compelling the lost? Most of us are familiar with with the, the parable of the, the wedding feast or the parable of the dinner, some of your versions may call it. Look at Luke 14, just real quick. My version says the parable of the dinner. Some of yours may say the parable of the wedding feast, something like that. Basically, it says in verse 23, it says, The master said to the slave, the master in this parable, Jesus is, is talking about himself. He's the master. Said to the slave, that would be us, that would be his servants, the saints, he said, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them. Them would be the lost people, those who have, who have not connected to his greatness, his great love. Compel them to come in so that my house may be filled, so that my body and the body of Christ may be filled. Go out and compel people to want to be a part of the body of Christ. I love the word compelled because really that's what I am right now. I'm, I'm, I feel called and I feel compelled to lead us into a biblically balanced place of expressing our worship to God. So the master said to the slave, go to the highways along the hedges and compel them, the lost, to come in so that my house, the body of Christ, may be filled. What compels them? I mean, what is it? Sir, would you like to come to church with with me, ma'am, 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 would you? Yeah. What is it that compels people? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't invite. I think we should invite people to church. Absolutely. It's what the gospel's preached. We should be preaching it out, but it's preached a lot at church. The key component that compels the lost to come into the body of Christ is this, and I want you to write it down. Charis. Charis. It's the Greek word for grace. Now, I'm not going to be teaching on grace this morning. Melissa did a great job of teaching on grace a couple of weeks ago. We had technical difficulties, and we don't have the podcast for that, but maybe we'll get her to share it again. Would you guys be opposed to that one way or the other? If you weren't here, you're probably like, yeah, I'd like to hear that. And it was very, very, very good when Melissa shared that a couple of weeks ago. Let me say that again. The key component that compels the lost to come into the body of Christ is charis. Am I saying that right, Kat? How do you say it? Charis. And I want you to hear. Now, there's all kinds of definitions of grace, of charis. I do appreciate you, Kat. Without you, my Greek would stink. There's all kinds of of definitions, like Melissa said, about grace, and and I'm not going to try to exhaust those, but I will say um, this week, just looking up, the, the main definition that it gives for grace, for charis, is that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, excitement. That which affords or yields or bears the fruit of, you, are you hearing me? That... Charis, charis, <laughs> it is that which yields or bears the fruit of joy, excitement, pleasure, delight, sweetness. And you guys know just as much as I do, that is what everyone in this world is wanting. We just happen to know the one that gives it eternally. Amen? 
I mean, why should somebody come into a church on a Sunday morning and uh, see a bunch of people standing around with their hands in their pockets, singing songs as if that's the only way they're going to get their free lunch and ever want to come back? But that happens all across this town, all across this area, all across this nation. Because Caris is not producing joy in people, excitement. And we don't want to be part, I was thinking about that, we don't want to be part of something that there's no enthusiasm about. Is that true or false? That's very true. I don't want to be a part of something that others aren't enthusiastic about. Now, again, I'm not making a judgment about where our uh, enthusiasmometer is or isn't. Uh, as, much, as much as I am challenging us to always uh, respond passionately to the Lord based upon his grace and his redemptive work towards us. Can I say that again? To always respond passionately to the Lord because of our understanding, our view, our thankfulness, of his grace, his mercy, his redemptive work in our life. Singing has always been uh, it's always been a, an important way that God's followers um, responded to his greatness, his marvelous deeds, who he is, what he's about. It's always been one of the main ways that people express that. You know, Jesus, in two of the Gospels, it says that Jesus and his disciples sang hymns after the Passover supper, after that Seder meal, before they went out to the garden. They sang hymns right before that. So we know that Jesus did, did that. In fact, uh, the Jewish tradition um, says that the way of approaching singing, I was reading that this week. Can I just read this to you? It says this. It says, we sing when we are pining after one whom we love. When we are yearning for better times. When we are celebrating an achievement or anticipating a revelation. We don't sing when we're complacent. We sing when we are striving for something or when we have tasted joy and are climbing it to the heavens. Song is prayer, the endeavor to rise above the petty cares of life and cleave to one's source. Song is the quest for redemption, which totally makes sense considering that every time you find the word sing in the Bible, you will see the word joy or praise attached to it. And sometimes joy and praise are actually in the same sentence. And if the word joy and the word praise is not there, then read that scripture in context and you will find that the spirit is a spirit of joy and a spirit of praise when there is singing. Most of the time, I would say 99% of the time, I did find one where there seemed to be some song that seemed to be really chill and mellow. But almost every time the word sing is mentioned, it is in direct connection with the word joy and with the word uh, praise. And if you're writing things down, I want you to write this down. Our singing should not be done out of obligation or habit, but as an enthusiastic response to his loving kindness, which is another word that is often Right there in with the words, sing of his loving kindness, sing of his greatness, sing of his loving kindness. It's another word that's attached quite often. 
to the word sing. It should be an, a response, an enthusiastic response to his loving kindness and the joy that we have tasted. And the key word there is enthusiastic. And again, I just gave you guys this church total props because the singing was ridiculous this morning. You guys were getting after it. This is not a rebuke. This is not a reprimand. This is an encouragement to move forward with, our, with what's already on your heart. Amen? Enthusiasm is the key. If it weren't, if it wasn't enthusiastic, if it's not going to be enthusiastic, then it's nothing really more than rhetorical response to a, uh, to a religious ritual. And again, we go unchanged. There's no breakthrough in our heart. God hasn't become bigger in our heart, in our life, in our circumstances, than what was accomplished. Not the purpose of singing and not the power of singing. And there's uh, 10 songs in the history of Israel, 10 occasions on which the experience of redemption was expressed in songs. And I'm going to show you, we don't have time to go through them all, but I'm going to show you these. You can reference them later. Uh, one of them, this is a, these are big songs for Israel, okay, for the, for the Jewish people, especially back in the day. Okay, the first one is the song that was sung on the night of the Exodus. Uh, it talks about it in Isaiah. You can check it out. We're actually going to look at it a little bit more uh, in a minute. The song at the sea, it's in Exodus 15. That's the one, actually, we're going to look at. Uh, the song at the well over in Numbers. Uh, Moses sang a song whenever he completed the writing of the, of the Torah, of the law. Um, there is a song that's really big um, from when, you guys remember when, when Joshua stopped the sun over in Joshua 10. You can check it out. Uh, Deborah's song, King David's song, Second uh, Samuel 22 there. The song of the dedication of the Holy Temple, it talks about that in Psalms 30. These are big songs for the people of Israel. Uh, uh, nine is basically the whole book of Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, uh, that divine groom and his bride, that whole picture that we see there, that's, a, that's a, the whole book of... Song of Solomon is, is huge. And then the 10th one, uh, I'm going to stop here for a second. The 10th one is actually very interesting. It's called the uh, Sher Kadash, I guess is how you would say that. But I want to read this so that I get it right. The Sher Kadash, the new song, that's what it means in Hebrew, the new song of the ultimate redemption. Okay, now this song, they don't participate in this song. This is a song that is to come. The new song of the ultimate redemption, a redemption that is global and absolute, a redemption that will annihilate all suffering, ignorance, jealousy, hate from the face of the earth, a redemption of such proportions that the yearning it evokes and the joy that it brings requires a new song, a completely new musical vocabulary to capture the voice of creation's ultimate striving. And this song, this 10th song, they don't sing yet. They don't participate in the song. This is a song to come, and it mainly points to Messiah. And again, there's a lot of different things that different scholars believe when and what and all that. But bottom line, it's about what they perceive uh, the Messiah to do. Here's the deal. We know that song. (laughs) We know that that song has come because we recognize Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He is the redemption that they longed for. Are you with me this morning? He, Jesus Christ is the redemption that they longed to sing of. We get to sing this song. If the unbelieving Jews can be that enthusiastic about a song that they will sing for their Messiah, then how much more can we enthusiastically sing of a Savior that we recognize right now and we believe in right now and we follow day to day right now? Amen? They're, they're all pumped 
about a song that's to come. But we're saying he has come. And every time we sit in a congregation like this and at home in private, anytime we want, we can whip out our songbook and go to town. And something happens. There's breakthrough that happens. Chains break. Bondages come off. Things happen. Why? Because that's the power of song. These are all redemptive situations that they, uh, there's a song built around in the scripture. In fact, I want to I show you one real quick, and we'll end with this. Turn to Exodus 15. Now, this is, uh, this is the song of Moses and Israel. And at the end of this song of, of Moses is what many of you may already know as uh, Miriam's song, who is Moses' sister, Moses and Aaron. And uh, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but I'm going to read a little bit of it, okay? This is the song that they sang, okay? The picture is they just came out on the other side of the Red Sea. Their redemption is complete. Pharaoh and his armies um, are basically wiped out. Um, and it says, then Moses, so they're free. The redemption is done. It's, it's, it's in place. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army have been cast into the sea, and the choicest of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The, deep, uh, the deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. And we can start, uh, stop right there. And I know these were words of a song sang by Moses and the people of Israel based upon their exodus out of Egypt. But you guys know enough already, because we talk about it a lot around here, that this is a song that we could literally sing for ourselves. Because we know that Moses was a type or a shadow of Christ. He was a deliverer for God's people Israel out of Egypt, which is a type of the world. God was showing us something through this thing. And just as Moses and, and God's people Israel were able to sing of the redemption of the deliverance out of that pagan, nasty, worldly, ungodly system, so we can sing and should sing of God's redemption of us out of this world. We can't not sing. Now, here's the thing, and here's what I want to show you. This song is a response. We've been talking about that a lot lately, responding to the Lord, responding to the Lord. I'm not sure if you knew this, but we're not robots, that we just do what he tells us to do, and we just, we're not. He gives us the, the freedom and the, and the will and the choice to respond to his goodness. That what's, that's what makes us a bride and a groom. That's what makes it a cherished bride is that she said, yes, I will have you. Those of you who are married, you remember the day when she's like, yes, right? There's a response, and this song is a response. Look back at um, chapter 14, verse um, 30 and 31. It says, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. 
When Israel saw the great power which the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord in a good way, respected him, revered him, reverenced him, and feared him. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. They believed in God and in his servant Moses, who was a type of Christ. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. In other words, Israel's there. And they're looking out, and they're like, oh, my goodness. That which has held us in bondage for 400 years. That which I have cut my hands, bruised my hands, been whipped on the back underneath the bondage of Egypt and the Egyptians. Look at them over there. They're dead on the seashore. And it's because of what they saw that they were able to sing all the lyrics. Go on to read the rest of 15. And I just this week I thought about this. Do we see the world dead? Remember, Egypt's the type of the world. Do we see the world dead on the seashore? Do we see our sin and death? Do we see the bondage that we were once in dead over there on the seashore? Is that what we, is that what we view Do we see that the way they did? Because if we do, we can never not sing. Our response is always intensely enthusiastic because we're always acutely aware of the redemption that God has brought. There's a scripture in in Psalms 57 that says, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. says it twice. I will sing. Yes, says it twice. I will sing praises. And that word steadfast basically means to be prepared, means firm and established. In other words, it is firmly established in my mind, my view, my perspective of what's going on here. And because of that, I will sing. Yes, I will sing your praises. I think that's what God is prompting us more and more. Yes, we're singing good, but we want to establish ourselves even more become even more firmly um, disconnected, if you will, from the Egyptians over there on the sea. And not just to be disconnected, but to recognize that because of the power of the cross, that, that whole thing's dead and gone. You hear what I'm saying? It, it, it has no sting. It affects you not unless you're willing to go swim back across the ocean and go mingle around dead corpses. That's a bad response the better response would be to sing our guts out. And every time we sing in response to the greatness of God, that breakthrough, that that bondage, those things that we tend to get kind of, you know, it talks about sin that so easily entangles. Every time we do that, there's just a, it can't help but fall off because that's what God does. And that's why he created singing. That's the purpose and power of it. Psalms 47 verse 6 says, Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. Amen. Would you guys stand with me?